Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on underdogdynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Crazy to think we are already through week 10 in uh, the college football season. Moving on to week 11, we are going to talk about both weeks today as well as some other news and notes from Conference USA as the realignment saga continues uh, to rage on. But first, uh, Jill Lonergan, Eric Henry here with you once again. Eric, glad to talk to you as always. How are you doing today, man? Man, I am doing all right. Cannot complain. Can you believe that we are <laughs> entering the home stretch here of the season, right? Feels like just yesterday mm-hmm. that the uh, season just started, although it has kind of been a long season on mine as far as covering games. But yeah, man, we are uh, we're here. Plenty of uh, news and notes to talk about, but we've also gotten some positive feedback about people enjoying the idiosyncrasies of myself and your uh, and you and us and our uh, <laughs> our sense of humor. So we're going to try to expand a little bit more of that on on the pot in brief uh, in, in brief spurts. We, we we won't let it take over because if we do, uh, we won't be doing this podcast for much longer. We both be unemployed. <laughs> that's that's true. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny. I'm certainly uh, you know I haven't gotten where I am today because of my looks. My sense of humor has already gotten me so far. So it's it's nice to be complimented on that. I will admit. Um, but yeah, man, it, it's good to be back. I quick thing, quick story for you. Uh, I made the drive up to Seattle this past weekend, and I took in my first uh, Seattle Kraken home game at the brand new okay, arena there, nice. and it was nice. yeah, it is beautiful. I mean, it's you know, as someone who just enjoys the atmosphere of sports, and you know, as someone who really hasn't had like the full you know live sporting event experience as a fan. Uh, since the pandemic came back, this was like this was fantastic. So you know, hopefully we we can get back to that you know at college football stadiums throughout the country here and and kind of replicate that because this was this was a lot of fun. You know, um, it made me you know optimistic about you know uh, a business that's it's very easy easy to get cynical about sometimes, as you can attest. Um, what about you, man? Any uh, watch any sports outside of uh, college football this weekend? Yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. NBA season's in full swing, and with that comes the typical NBA beefs, NBA dramas. Uh, it reminded me of a of a story from you know my uh, <laughs> Al Bundy days of of playing you know uh, FCS football at JU University. But for for those who listeners who don't know the story, there was a bit of a, a incident between the Miami Heat and Denver Nuggets with Nikola Jokic and. Uh, one of the Morris twins, you know, Markeith Morris and Markeith Morris, uh, known as some of the enforcers of the NBA and Jokic, of course, you know, uh, known as one of the better players in the NBA. And it just reminded me of a story where now it's transitioned to this whole beef between the uh, Jokic brothers and the Morris twins and the Heat. And there was this great photo where the Heat are trying to get into the Nuggets locker room. And Joe, I just want to share this quick story for you and the listeners, right? So uh, freshman year 
at JU and, you know, all the athletes, again, this is not giant, you know, big time <laughs> P5 football, uh, athletics, right? This is uh, the small time. So it's not all of us in some massive Nike dorm. It's all of us kind of just living in, you know, one dorm and whatnot. And uh, we all would go out together from time to time. And JU, the basketball team, they had a player from the Ukraine, right? Uh, you know, first year in America comes over and he's getting experience with the nightlife. And we take him out to a, a bar that we certainly were not old enough to get into, but you know, it, it, you can make it happen, right? When you're, you're an athlete and you look a certain way. And this kid is six, eight. Anyhow, the point of the story is this long story short, uh, a guy bumps into one of our friends and, you know, a little scuffle ensues, but uh, to bring it, and to bring it all the way back around to the Jokic situation, our friend from the Ukraine uh, as we, you know, are making our way out of the bar says, you know, guys, I just want you guys to know. And he says, it's an accident. You know, I, you guys are my brothers, but if we're athletes, we're a team. You're my brothers. I'll die for you guys. And I kind of turned to one of my boys afterwards and, and said, you know, the country that he's from, that's not, a, I don't know if that's a metaphorical die. Uh, he's from one of the countries where, you know, they, they got civil wars and, you know, food rations and whatnot. Like, <laughs> you know, when we say that, that's metaphorical. Uh, I, I don't necessarily know if he meant that as a figure of speech. <laughs> and I think it's the same thing here with the Jokic twins. Uh, I, I don't necessarily know. Like, I got all the respect in the world for the Morris twins and what they're doing. But I, I don't necessarily know, Joe, if that's a, a metaphorical, you know, ride or die if you catch what I'm going. No, man. Eastern Europe tough is a different <laughs> kind of tough. I, <laughs> I, I've had, you know, interactions with, with athletes from that part of the world. Very similar to what you just described. And, yeah, those those guys – do not mess around. Uh, so it's, it's, I don't know. It's interesting that you had uh, a very similar experience, but bringing it back to that heat Denver game, like I'm looking at the the photo that you sent me from uh, Aaron Ontiveras, uh photojournalist out in Colorado of in it. For those that haven't seen the photo, it is uh, the heat players basically like trying to get into the nuggets locker room after the game and a, uh, very unassuming looking security guard somehow keeping the whole situation in check. It's it's a very it's a very funny photo. I'm sure it'll be memed to the moon and back. But um, yeah, man, it's it's funny the emotions that you know, anger, happiness, the whole spectrum that sports brings out in, in professional athletes. Exactly, and you know, I got one other thing because you got to keep it you know a little idiosyncratic before we uh, transition to football. Uh, shout out to AJ on Twitter who you know, really enjoyed our segment last week on the monkey and the pole assassin. So I've just got a few more questions, Joe, and these can be, uh, they can be rhetorical questions or you can opine. I, I just have to get these off my chest for the listenership, right? Mm -hmm. So now again, and I, we don't need to explain the whole monkey situation. Go Google it, Texas monkey, pole assassin, you'll get it. This is an emotional support monkey, but yet our, the owner of the monkey is a, football assistant coach, right? Which means the coach travels. So my question is, who is watching the monkey, right? Because you can't just like go get, you know, a, a dog sitter for the emotional sport monkey, right? Like, that's a question. So at least into a second question, right? Let's assume that the pole assassin is watching the monkey while our coach, the friend, our friend, the coach is traveling. The pole assassin has a job that travels as well. So is the pole assassin bringing the monkey with her? Like, how do you get the monkey on an airplane? Do you, does that come in like checked? 
you know, or do you, does that get, you know, the, the, like, hey, you go to Delphi, like, yo, this is my emotional support monkey and I need it, right? Because the pole assassin and the assistant coach both have jobs that travel. And again, I don't think you can just, you know, Google uh, monkey sitter and everything's fine. And clearly that's not the monkey who is going to be just on its best behavior to be sat is the reason we know about this monkey in the first place. So I just had some questions and Joe, they can be rhetorical or you can opine either or I just had to get those off my chest. Sure. I mean, the way that I interpreted the whole situation was that this monkey was pole assassins, emotional support monkey. And now that's a sentence that I never thought I'd say out loud, but that was how I interpreted it. And if she, if she was in fact, traveling with the monkey i mean yeah i don't know what the process looks like of securing like an emotional support animal permit but i mean i would imagine you know you have to like buy a ticket for the monkey and and, you know have it dress up in a little trench coat and sunglasses and make it look like an actual passenger and yeah just have it sit next to you and try to you know eat peanuts and i don't know calm you down or whatever emotional support animals do in that kind of scenario but uh (laughs) it's 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 wild because a I, I never thought I would have to talk about emotional support monkeys and and b like yeah I would imagine that'd be in all seriousness I feel like that'd be an just a nightmare travel scenario or is that I would imagine that like severely hampers the amount of traveling you can do if it's you know it's not like a dog and a cat where there are people jumping at the chance to you know watch a dog or a cat because that's fairly easy. But Listen like you said, to be like, nah, I'm not. I can't travel. I'm gonna stay home and chill with my monkey. Listen, Joe. I just <laughs> had questions because both our friend, the assistant coach, and the pole assassin have jobs that require travel. So it just crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. I, I that's, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> did you get? Did you catch this sh- subtle Chappelle reference there? <laughs> <laughs> of course I did, Joe. <laughs> Okay, just making sure. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, man, they, this is a wild scenario. Like, I don't know. I wonder if he brought that monkey to practice. See, that's uh, there's again, no way. Uh, we we, we right. got to start. We got to talk CUSA. But, I, but you can't tell me that the more you think about this, there are questions with the monkey, the pole assassin, and our friend the coach. That is going to be like this is going to be like an HBO show at some point. The monkey, the pole assassin, and our friend, the coach. That's the title. We get a spec script together. We run with it. All I'm saying, man. All I'm saying. <laughs> and then we made a million dollars. All right. Let's let's jump into some Week 10 recaps. Uh, starting with UAB beating Louisiana Tech 52-38. to 38. Career day for Dwayne McBride with uh, 210 yards and four touchdowns on only 14 carries. Uh, so two new career highs for him there. Uh, dude was absolutely lethal. Uh, CUSA Offensive Player of the Week for good reason. 296 total rushing yards for the Blazers in this game. So uh, if that's obviously what you want to focus on if you're Bill Clark. Uh, for Tech, Austin Kendall did not play due to a back injury. So J.D. Head played quarterback and, frankly, played pretty well. Uh, hooked up with Smoke Harris for nine catches, 92 yards, and two touchdowns. And he's only a freshman. 
Uh, and here are my two big things from this game, one for each team. Uh, for Tech, the fact that you see what J.D. Head can do against a stronger defense like UAB and him being only a freshman, you know you at least have that to build off of moving into the offseason and into next season. That's, that's great for them uh, considering everything else that they've had to deal with. For UAB, 12 penalties for 129 yards, 88 penalties this year, most in the league, and they've only played nine games. Uh, so this year's UAB team really seems to be one of these teams that turn the switch on and off. And what I mean by that is most of the time when their backs are up against the wall, they execute. But particularly early in games where there's less immediate danger, They've looked rough at times. Uh, by Bill Clark's own admission, this is a team that hasn't hit their peak yet, but they need to start hitting it <laughs> with the toughest part of their season coming up these next few weeks. And, you know, their CUSA West hopes, uh, you know, coming into question here. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, listen, in terms of CUSA West, UTSA looks to be running away with it. And of course, we'll talk about the Roadrunners in a later part of the podcast. But I kind of have similar takeaways from you on this game. J.D. Head, definitely impressed with his performance. While, albeit it's not against a fully healthy UAB defense, and even when this defense was fully healthy at the beginning of the year, it wasn't quite necessarily the Blazer defense of seasons past, right? You know, yes, they do have guys like Dijon Turner um, back who had been injured, but still, you know, no Chris Mole. I don't know he's still banged up. So definitely, you know, I guess for Louisiana Tech, I'm looking at they have played nine games. J.D. Head has played a excuse me, start in one. I don't know off the top of my head how many games he's played in. Do you explore the idea of at two and seven, you're not going to reach a bowl game? You're not now. You're officially disqualified. Do you look at maybe getting J.D. Head some more reps, right? You know, I, I think Austin Kendall, it's, it's a two-headed coin here, right? Because you have someone like Austin Kendall who you brought out of I don't want to say out of retirement, but he had moved on to civilian life, right? And you definitely want to do him justice. You don't want to just sit him down. But at the same point in time, maybe you, you look at your quarterback situation and say, hey, we want to try and start prepping for the future and getting this guy some reps. And I think performed fairly well in the first half. This was very much a game. It was a 24-21 game at half. Just a situation where UAB made more plays. He talked about Dwayne McBride with the 14 carries for 210. Four touchdowns, those are kind of the numbers that – yeah, he put up last year. I mean, maybe not 15 yards per carry, but definitely looked good in time in terms of being the number two guy behind Spencer Brown. And I just look offensively outside of the running game. Dylan Hopkins, he had somewhat of an ugly interception, just you know, kind of looked like he's just kind of thrown up there trying to make a play happen. Um, but yeah, man, I, I guess the major thing is still, we've talked about this for the past few years. With UAB, they just don't have consistent enough quarterback play when you know you did have tj3 tyler johnson the third in their quarterback and he had moments of success but never really put together that full season to make you think he's the guy who's going to get you know if your team needs to strap it on and have your quarterback get you a win he's not going to be that guy nevertheless still a good win for them they're six and three and as we've talked about uab still has a chance to it's a fighting chance to compete in the west but it feels like, Joe, we spent the better part of this season talking about UAB in relation to a certain deficiency, right? And that, to me, is just a major takeaway. Absolutely. I mean, if you watched most of this game and you saw the mistakes that were piling up for UAB, you could see how how frustrated uh, Bill Clark was getting with his team, and, and particularly on defense. Clark's a very defensive-minded coach, as the last few seasons have indicated. 
uh, for UAB. But, you know, that part of their game these last several weeks has just really not been there. And I mean, uh, you know, w- with penalties, obviously, you know, it's the it's the officials that call them. So part of it is subjective, but for the most part, it's just a matter of like knowing how to execute and doing the right things when you need to do them. And for all the talent and for all the experience that UAB has in this roster, you know, it's, it's tough to, you know, justify the amount of mistakes they're making when you, when you take that into account. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, the penalties are one thing. And that's something that obviously if you're Bill Clark, you have to be frustrated with. I just look at it and maybe some of that, again, I'll point to the injuries and you have guys who maybe didn't expect to be playing as much as they have been playing this year. So that'd be about maybe a part of it as well. And maybe a part of their defensive deficiency, just again, attrition guys graduate guys go to the NFL, but also they've been really banged up this year. That's true. Uh, You know, with them, hopefully they, uh, you know, get, some of those guys back before the end of the year and uh, finish out the year strong. Um, still obviously going to a bowl game, but you know, I think you want a little more if you're the uh, defending league champions. Um, let's talk about Southern Miss and North Texas. Uh, me and Green come away with this one with a 38 to 14 victory. Uh, North Texas on a little bit of a tear here. Great day for the run game, totaling 321 yards and three touchdowns. Highlight for Southern Miss was a pick six by sophomore Jay Stanley, Greenwood, Mississippi native. Uh, Southern Miss actually had a 14 to nothing lead here in the beginning before uh, North Texas began to wake up. And uh, one thing that I, I do love about USM in their current form is uh, their quarterback, Mr. Uh, Jake Lang, wearing number 24. Very old school, very T formation, which I'm I'm kind of a nerd for that area for that era of football, I should say. So I don't know. I like that part, and I'll say this too about Southern Miss. Obviously, they have a long way to go, but there's a certain point where you just have to look at how depleted their roster is and the amount of issues they keep running into, and just like you know, just get the young guys some uh, playing time. Know that the rebuild is not going to be instant, and start looking forward to next year. Joe, I don't have too much more to add on this game because when you look at Southern Miss, if <laughs> any team that plays five quarterbacks in a year, chances are you're not good, right? Whether that's uh, through injury or whether that's through rotation. In this case with Southern Miss, a lot of it's been through injury. They have allowed 41 sacks this year. I mean, that's going to get any signal caller beat up. And as you can imagine, if you're allowed 41 sacks, probably getting pressured, you know, maybe double that, right? So that certainly hasn't done uh and uh, them any huge favors i guess looking forward and i talked about this in my three things piece on actually yesterday when i wrote that the big thing that i think for southern miss is they got to use these last few games to figure out it, it, it needs to serve as extended spring ball with quarterback competition right because the one thing that you thought you had solved entering this year with trey Lowe being the guy and him not focusing on baseball entering the year, you don't have solved, right? So, I mean, yes, defensively, they have their issues and that you'll try to solve through recruiting and transfers and whatnot. But I think their primary focus over the last few games should be identifying a quarterback and getting as many guys uh, reps as possible, whether that's, you know, getting Jake Lang the reps the rest of the year or that's a tie keys or whoever. But I think that's something you got to identify. With North Texas, I can't, sorry, Mean Green fans, can't take too much in a win over Southern Miss. Again, they're struggling. Even Rice, uh, Rice has played better. And we'll talk about them in the podcast, but 
not too much I'm going to glean from those two games. Show me something against UTEP. You have a UTEP team that, after starting 6-1, and one, dropped the next two. If you beat them at home, you got FIU. FIU obviously struggling. That'll get you to five. And then if you're going to qualify for a bowl, you're going to have to <laughs> upset the hell out of UTSA. I don't think that's going to happen. But, again, I mean, I, I honestly can't. Outside of some stuff we've talked about before, which is the fact that seemingly they're getting outstanding numbers in the run game, which for the past few years, that wasn't the case. Obviously, a much more pass-heavy offense. And that, yes, is a positive, especially when it's guys who aren't DeAndre Torrey and Oscar Attaway's, you know, lost for the year in the early part of the going. So that helps. But, yeah, all in all, um, not too much I can really take away going forward from this win for North Texas. I mean, it's great they got the win, better than a loss, right? But North, Southern Miss is just really banged up right now. Yeah, I mean – I think you hit the nail on the head with Southern Miss. I mean, that seems to be the way forward for them and for North Texas. I mean, I don't know. Take solace in the improvements your run game showing um, and move forward from there and see what you can do next year for for all these teams, really, that have already kind of eliminated themselves from the uh, division title races and from bowl eligibility, which I guess uh, North Texas could still get to, but it's unlikely at this point. Um with that, then let's talk about Charlotte beating Rice 31 to 24 in OT. Charlotte managing to stay alive in the CUSA East race here. Uh, Rice still getting on the right track, but a pretty good day for them despite the loss. Everybody kind of anticipated a huge rushing day for the Charlotte offense. However, only 57 yards for them uh, on the in the ground game in this one, Eric. Yeah, yeah, no. Listen, uh, definitely anticipate a big day on uh, on the ground for. I, I you may have anticipated a big day on the ground for Charlotte. I anticipated a big day on the ground for Rice because we know that deficiencies that Charlotte's had in defending the run, and quite frankly, almost cost them this game. Gotta give. I gotta give two shout outs here. Uh, shout out to my buddy Tintin on Twitter. I had a chance to meet up with him uh, during the week. He was in Florida on some work, so I had a chance to meet up with him and talk Niner football. And also have to give a shout out to. Niner Nation, and specifically Johnny Spaulding. We had a good interaction on that forum. I'm going to use that, Joe, to transition into Chris Reynolds. because I know that I had talked about on previous podcasts in terms of is his ceiling kind of, you know, and I know you and I kind of went back and forth on a little bit, is his ceiling kind of, you know, 20 completions for 220-something yards, maybe a touchdown interception, but is he necessarily the guy who's going to lead your team to victory, right? Well, right on cue, he shuts me up there. You know, he manages to it was really on on the back of his arm, you know, that really got this team, especially without Vic Tucker. The, the fact that they're still able to do twenty, uh, go, excuse me, to go twenty of twenty nine for two ninety two, three touchdowns, no picks. The run game, as you mentioned, not really there. Reynolds definitely was under pressure throughout the day. Was sacked four times. I'll give credit to Rice for putting up a hell of a fight again. Finally, finding a bit of a offensive consistency with Jake Constantine, nineteen to thirty-five or two fifty-three, wasn't able to find the end zone. But Ari Broussard, twenty carries for one eighty-six, definitely a little bit surprised there because it seemed like Kalen Griffin, uh, even in nineteen and twenty, looked like he was going to be the guy, the the three-star recruit freshman out there in the Texas area. But Ari Broussard has come on and really kind of stabilized that run game, and Jake Bailey as well, you know, in terms of the receiving aspect, but. Give credit to Will Healy's squad. They found a way to win. They they won a game that, quite frankly, Joe, they couldn't have lost that game. And A, for their chances in the East, but just in general as a program, right? When you start the year with the win over Duke and kind of the, the boost, the momentum boost that gives your program and the feeling around uh, the city to kind of, again, I, I think their record after that would have been, had they lost that game, would have been three and five. So 
nice to end up on the right side of this one. And they're still in contention in the East. Absolutely. Uh, the CUSA East race, as we're going to talk about a little more uh, in this show and in future episodes, and I guess we've already talked about it a little bit, uh, the conclusion of this season in that regard is going to be extremely exciting. You have Charlotte, who's still in it. You have Western Kentucky, who's still live. You have uh, you know, FAU, I guess, is still alive, though their their hopes are definitely in doubt after the uh, loss to Marshall this week, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, and then, obviously, Marshall still leading the division in that regard. But, um, yeah, we're definitely getting our money's worth in terms of late-season thrills in that regard. Um, so with that, let's talk about Western Kentucky beating uh, Middle Tennessee State in this one, 48-21. Uh, to 21. Uh, so this win was huge for Western Kentucky, not only because it was a rivalry game, but it also keeps them alive in the CUSA title race, as I said. Uh, for the defense, easily their best game of the season. Seven turnovers, including six interceptions, uh, marking an FBS-era record for the program. Um, offensively, four more touchdown passes for Bailey Zappi. Jareth Stearns caught 11 passes, which now makes him the single-season receptions record holder at Western Kentucky. For middle, uh, Chase Cunningham done for the year. Uh, unfortunately, that lower leg injury that he suffered uh, last week was a little more serious than everybody would have hoped. Uh, so he's done uh, at quarterback. It was a toss up between Mike DeLillo and Nick Vadiato as to who would start. Uh, Vadiato was the one who ultimately got that nod. Unfortunately, through five picks. So a long way to go for the freshman signal caller. But as Rick Stockstill indicated in his post game presser, he feels really good about. Uh, the future of his program with these two guys and Vadiato in particular at uh, at the helm here. Um, okay, listen, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to contradict Rick Stockstill again. He knows more football than than you know. He's forgotten more football than I'll ever know, right? But uh -huh, Joe, uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 listen. I mean, we've got to face a factor, right? For listeners who may not know this, I am familiar with both of these kids, Nick, uh, Nick, Nick. Badiato, of course, I always butcher his name whenever I have to say it, and Mike DeLeo. Both of them are South Florida products, right? Mike DeLeo uh, is actually from West Palm, and Nick Vadiato is from Plantation Broward County University School. So I've had a chance to see both of them. Mike DeLeo started his career at Florida Tech. That was a NAI, excuse me, a Division II school that uh, unfortunately didn't make it through the pandemic and, and shut down, and he transferred to Middle Tennessee. Nick Vadiato is a guy who you know, was lightly recruited and ended up at Middle Tennessee. That's not to say I am, and you know, Joe, from doing this podcast for four years, I am not the stars guy. I am not the one who says, oh, if you have a five stars, but listen, Bailey Zappi, who's slinging the rock right now for Western Kentucky, he certainly wasn't a five star and he may be the best quarterback in the nation. I'm just saying right now they do have a quarterback quandary, right? Like our quarterback situation, I guess I should say. So we'll see what happens. If it's not going to be Chase Cunningham, I guess Joe, the big thing, while he can feel great about the future and future being next year and years to come, I don't think in an honest moment, if you ask Rick Stockstill, when he thought he was getting the year with Bailey Hockman, someone who was, as you mentioned, former four-star recruit, started his career at Florida State, started plenty of games for NC State. If you had said that Nick Variado is going to be the guy who's going to have to st start a ton of games for you or start down the stretch with your team on the brink of bowl eligibility or having a shot, Sure, maybe publicly you would have said, hey, you know, I have confidence in my guys, but that can't be ideal, Joe. It just can't be considering the fact that this team, FIU and ODU, again, if they get those games, that gets them to six. They, they're right there. It's just going to take um, a play from the quarterback position. And then really, Joe, 
to transition and giving it back to you. It's going to depend on the run game to help these young quarterbacks out. And that's a thing that, as I've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, it's been a struggle, right? So we'll see how it plays out. But I, I, I commend Rick Stockstill. I mean, of course, I don't expect him to not feel confident with his guys publicly and talk about the future being you know, down the road. But in terms of the 2021 Middle Tennessee team that is two wins away from bowl eligibility, you got to think the quarterback situation of Chase Cunningham isn't able to come back this year uh, is it, it's going to be touch and go to see if they can get the six. I do agree with that. Uh, Eric, I will say uh, I'm about to do something that you're not going to see me do very often. And that is defend Rick stock still. Um, so here's, here's what I'll say about, you know, his remarks about Vadiato and him feeling really good about him based on what I was able to observe about him, you know, reading through his post-game comments and, uh, you know, seeing how he handled playing a, a, a terrible game against a rival in a, you know, kind of a pivotal moment for the team. I think he has the leadership qualities that these old school coaches look for. And, you know, that's, that's fine. I think he has time to get better. He's only a freshman and I, I'm not <laughs> debating whether or not, uh, he played poorly. He did. He absolutely did. But I think from a like, character and leadership point of view, I think that's more what Stockstill was trying to get at here. And in, in the fact that Vadiato knows he's got to get better. And St- I, based on Stockstill's quotes here, it seems like he he knows Vadiato is ready to put in the work to get to where he needs to be, if that makes sense. No, sure. If we're talking about within the context of your the makeup of a player i can't debate that right rick stocks is going to know that much better than i uh, i will he's around that guy you recruited him so in that sense i have to agree i it, it, but if we're talking about in terms of you know you're feeling your quarterback room when your top two quarterbacks aren't there that your top two quarterbacks entering the season aren't there that's just you know staring it right in the face and looking like man this isn't necessarily the best situation in the world so again we'll see what happens because i can't emphasize this enough joe they have a chance. In theory, they have a chance in the division. I, I don't think anyone thinks that they're going to come back and, and win um, and, and, you know, go three and O's what they need to do. Because with FIU, ODU, and FEU, yeah, they have to win all those games to have any real shot uh, at the division. But And they did beat Marshall, right? So in theory, had they won this game, we'd be talking about MTSU with a win in the driver's seat, right, having a chance. But in terms of getting to six wins and and getting a bowl game, it's we're going to see what happens. It, it, I'll tell you this much. I will give the, cre- the kid credit for someone who was the four-string quarterback on the roster. If he can come in this situation and lead a, ve- a, a very veteran group to a bowl game, that'd be a great launching pad into 2022. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Blue Eaters need some good news right now. Uh, moving on then to FAU and Marshall. Marshall wins this one 28-13. Uh, first of all, for FAU in this game, uh, you look at how they executed in the red zone. Um, got down within or inside the Marshall 30 four times. And that resulted in two field goals, uh, a turnover on downs uh, and uh, a lost fumble. So definitely some issues executing in that regard for FAU and Willie Taggart definitely made note of that. Um, <laughs> definitely made note of that in his post-game presser. Um, and then for Marshall, you know, I think, this is a team that is really trying to not repeat the mistakes of the past, particularly last year 
when they looked like they were, you know, all world and then completely fell off. And I think Charles Huff is really trying to make sure that, you know, this team finishes the year with the kind of mentality that he wants. Um, you look at this game for the Thundering Herd and offensively, Rashina Lee did what he has, you know, kind of made a name for himself throughout the year doing two touchdowns there uh only had 90 yards but got his 18 touchdowns uh and then great wells 26 to 38 through the air for a touchdown interception so uh you know doing what they need to do there and then defensively like i mentioned really you know were able to step up when fau got within striking distance so joe i'm gonna take a bit of a 10,000 foot view here you know macro level view when it comes to fau not just in specificity with this game right this game is disappointment especially when you consider you're losing to a a division foe a team that's kind of become a de facto rival when you look at the fact that they've kind of been neck and neck as far as in the east over the past few years and it's no change this year but really taggart has a 10 and 8 record in his almost two years full two full seasons with FAU and you got to take a look at some things I think are interesting with any coach, Joe, there's going to be a bit of turnover, a bit of them bringing certain guys in who they may have had experience with in the past. And maybe some guys who are from the previous staff get lost in the shuffle. Right. But you and I have had conversations throughout the year, specifically about some of the talent that made plays under the Lane Kiffin administration who for one reason or another, aren't necessarily seeing the same amount of playing time and, you know, really success uh, in years prior, right? You can look at, for example, listen, Johnny Ford, 13 for 138. That's great. Johnny Ford, obviously, um, there's the relationship there with him being with USF. Wasn't necessarily there with, uh, I assume he wasn't there when Willie Taggart was there, but, you know, there's some overlap in terms of uh, the recruitment, right? But Malcolm Davidson, a guy who has been in the witness protection program, and in 2019, he looked to be one of the best backs in CUSA, six carries for 28 yards. Larry McCammon was a highly touted three-star recruit, three carries for 11 yards. He's serving essentially as a fullback. There are some things, I mean, I can go down the list, right? Guys like Amon Ross, who's been one of the better um, hybrid safety linebackers, you know, kind of that that new era of linebacker who can play in, in space and, you know, maybe the smaller safety, um, bigger linebacker, right? He only had one tackle last uh, against Marshall. I'm not I'm not looking this for to be a referendum on Willie Taggart because I think Coach Huff is doing a great job at Marshall. You look at their losses, Joe. They could very easily funny. They could be nine and zero. You know their three losses came by a combined. They lost to ECU by four, at by one, Middle Tennessee by six. So those are all games that they could have won and give them credit. I'm gonna take anything away from that win, but. I, the two things that are just primarily on my mind, when I look at FAU, are the guys who in previous years made plays who aren't necessarily getting the same experience. Even a guy like Chase Lasseter last year who played a lot when the absence of Achilles Leroy, he's not seeing as many snaps. Uh, so I see that. And then also, at, at a certain point, Joe, and I'm definitely this last point more than anything else I really want your opinion on, we've talked about FAU being one of the more talented teams in CUSA, but them just not being able to play a complete ball game. You can do that and use that as a, as you know, a reason for two, three games through nine games at a certain point, you got to take it off of the players and just wonder why can't they get the most out of that talent? No. Yeah, it's very fair. I mean, 
Yeah, I I really don't know. It's it's hard for me to really make assumptions about the kind of ship that Willie Taggart's running without having that access that, you know, sure. you guys in the other South Florida folks do. But exactly, it seems like with Lane Kiffin's administration, that was the big uh, difference. It was like, come hell or high water, we are going to score points and take advantage of those opportunities. With with Taggart, that sort of priority doesn't quite seem to be there. And I can't quite put my finger on it. But I, you know, I can't really disagree with anything you said in that regard. Yeah, I mean, Joe, even from an outside perspective, I mean, you certainly aren't, you know, here in, in Florida and maybe not as close with things on the ground. But you watch the USA, you're just as plugged in as anybody in terms of Conference USA football. You look at some of the losses, 14 points to UAB. UF, okay, that's a really great defense. 13 points to Marshall. Uh, slow starts in other games. I think that's one thing that, listen, I'm as big of a Willie Taggart fan as anybody. You know, I, I, you know, I had a chance to watch him up close and personal when he was at USF. But I think it's something to keep an eye on with a 10-8 and record and fans who are used to not only winning division titles but – or the, uh, in terms of recent success, but winning them a certain way to kind of shift away from that and it's not resulting in wins, I think it's something that you may have to just keep an eye on going forward to see where the fan base is in terms of you know their um, consternation or lack thereof with how things are going. That's valid. That's very valid. Um, and <laughs> to very quickly touch on something that you said on about the growing rivalry between FAU and Marshall – I, yes, <laughs> this past week on Twitter was, you know, one of the things that I had to kind of like, oh, oh boy, there are feelings being felt by uh, <laughs> members of both of these fan bases in regards to the other one. So I was like, wow, I, I didn't realize it was that that strong, but it is. And it, it makes for some entertaining uh, scrolling. I'll just say that uh, FIU losing again to Old Dominion. Uh, 47 to 24. Uh, saw a lot of good things at Old Dominion. Some typical late game issues for FIU. Uh, Eric, before you give your perspective as somebody who you sure. know took in this game in person, uh, I just want to reiterate that Old Dominion is really, really close to being a legit contender, and I think they will be yes. next year with the amount of talent that they will uh, that they will have coming back. Joe, you, you, a thousand percent, right? This is a team that, again, you look at their losses. I mean, we've talked about the one point loss to Buffalo. They almost upset Marshall. Listen, uh, to bring it back to FAU for a quick second, FAU heads to Norfolk, and if they sleepwalk in, in, in at, you know, at SB Ballard Stadium, <laughs> there's a very good chance that ODU can make this a game, if not win. The quarterback switch with Hayden Wolf, of course, you know, my fellow UCF Knight, DJ Mack, was the starter, QB1, to begin the year, but he definitely still had needs some time to progress as a passer, still finding his footing. Definitely gives you the dual threat option, but with Hayden Wolf's really unlocked some of the other things. And listen, Joe, they have pieces. Blake Watson was an all-conference performer as a redshirt freshman, I believe, in 2019 as a returner. He's the real deal at running back. 28 carries for a buck, 58, two touchdowns. He was fourth in the league in rushing with over 700 yards. Zach Koontz, and I tweeted this out from the main accounts. I think he needs to get some love. One of the better young emerging tight ends, not just in CUSA, but in Group of Five football, he may be the first-team all-conference performer at the position, nine catches for 102 yards, one touchdown. And I love the way they use him, Joe. They use him in the new-age way of tight end that you know maybe you see with Darren Waller out in Oakland, not Oakland, um, uh, Las Vegas. There we go, Las Vegas Raiders, where they split him out wide or split him out in the slot and make plays with him. 
very athletic. There were times where I saw him go up and run go routes against cornerbacks, and they tried to use his size to get him the ball. Defensively, ODU, five sacks. They made plays throughout the evening. Uh, for FIU, Bryce Singleton, I, I, I you know, nine, six catches, six catches for a buck, 99, two touchdowns. Got tripped over my, over my words there because I definitely want to give a shout out to Bryce. Of course, this, I'm biased as someone who covers this team. Joe, if you get a chance to watch a live FIU game, no matter the record, they could be eight and one, one and eight. He is competing all the way through. I mean, numerous times throughout this year where they've been down 15, 20, 25 points. He's still fighting for yards as if it's the first quarter in zero, zero. So glad that his performance really showed. And I think he's over 700 yards this year on the season, but again, just not enough consistency, especially from the defense when you end up down 24, 10 in the first quarter. And a lot of that, you know, also as well, the offense really stalled out punt, punt, punt in the second quarter, and the third quarter. And this game, Joe ODU, uh, I believe Elijah Davis, who ran for 114 yards, he fumbled down on the goal line at the two yard line they had a chance to make this one 31 10 the first quarter so the score definitely not necessarily as close even the 23 point margin of victory could have been more uh joe i want to leave you with one quick thing as we uh before we transition because i know there's been a lot of talk about fiu and you know how they got to this point this is something that as someone who covers this team it surprised me and i definitely want to run this one by you because you know you're very familiar with college football and and you know how things work mm-hmm. i'm going to give you a number in terms of guys from their last four classes that are no longer on the roster. In total, they have 26 recruits from the 18, 19, 20, and 21 seasons that are not on the roster. From the year, from 2018, it's two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14. From 2019, it's two, four, six. So 20 guys from 18 and 19. The reason I think that's Key is because those guys, those will be your juniors and seniors from this year, right? Not on your roster. Want to get your opinion on that, but for fans listening, the reason I bring that up is Butch Davis in his postgame when we asked him, you know, just give us opening thoughts. He said that he's got 15 to 18 guys who shouldn't be out there playing, you know, walk-ons and, you know, preferred walk-ons and guys who they didn't expect to see a lot of playing time. And he said, you know, the, the issues we have, there are no fixes for them. That, that answer caught my curiosity. I just wondered. Why are guys like Geo Richardson, a guy who was an FCS quarterback last year, actually started some games uh, at the FCS level of quarterback last year? Why is he playing safety and getting an interception in the game? That's your answer. When you, when you have 26 guys from your last four, four recruiting classes that aren't on your roster, you have to go to walk-ons. Yeah, and I, I 50-50 agree and disagree with Coach Davis on this one. In terms of how his team's performing on the field, there's not there's there's just no substitute for that experience that I think he wanted most of these guys to have before they played meaningful, you know, roles in in games. And, you know, like you said, when you convert a quarterback to safety, that's never that's pretty much never plan A unless, you know, they're like, you know, a dual threat scrambler guy. Uh, it, it's almost anyway, it's almost never plan A. Right. So. With that, I think without that experience, there's really only so much you can do in terms of, you know, tuning your team up at this point. I do think when you look at why there's so much attrition in this program and why so many guys from the last four years or so have chosen to leave the program for whatever reason, 
I definitely think there's something you can do as, you know, the leader of this program and just this program and this school in general can do to cut that rate down. I don't know what it is because I'm not inside the program and I don't know all the ins and outs of, you know, the, the culture that uh, this staff has created, but there's, there's, there's something you can do, you know, that, that kind of attrition doesn't just happen. And uh, you know, obviously the wins and losses have something to do with it, but at the same time, I don't know. There, there's something going on that those of us on the outside are missing as to why that's happening. But um, to, I think what coach Davis meant to say by this, you know, you're just, you're not going to get better as a team without, you know, the, the uh, it, just the time and the practice reps and the game reps to get guys where they need to be. You go back to 2020 even, and, you know, COVID impacted this team severely, you know, between guys actually getting it and games getting canceled and practices getting canceled. Like they, you know, I don't think they had a, a, a quote unquote regular week, you know, until like September of this year, going back to the 20, like, you know, 19 season. And, you know, coming in now where you have so many guys gone and so many guys hurt, it's, you know, more of the same really. So agree and disagree with coach Davis on that one. Yeah. And real quick, just to be clear, just to provide context, when coach Davis was saying that, you know, there doesn't necessarily have a fix. I want to make sure that's clear. It wasn't necessarily in relation to the recruits moving I, I, to leaving. He, he was star signing. He's leaving. He was talking about in terms of this year's roster. I just, just for listeners, I want to make sure that context is clear. Because, um, Joe, I do think you raise a good point, which is you there has to be something you can do as a coaching staff to figure out why guys are leaving. Just within the context of that answer was in specificity to his 2021 team, which, quite frankly, while I know FIU fans might not want to hear this, it's the truth. Because when you lose that many guys, and then, Joe, as you know this, we both follow you know college football as much cover as much as anybody. If you lose that many guys you're not even accounting for the handful of players who, you know, aren't going to pan out, right? Like guys who you sign who are three-star guys who maybe for whatever reason, they don't transition well to college in terms of their, their actual talent. And they end up just being roster fillers. Cause then you're looking at almost two thirds of your recruiting classes who either aren't on the roster or aren't playing significant snaps. That's really hurting this team in 21. Absolutely. And you know, I, uh, the comment about, you know, why there's so much attrition, that was really more just me doing what I do and and picking apart things that people say. No, I don't know. Sure. I, I don't sure. I don't doubt that Coach Davis was specifically referring to on field performance, but no, no, I yeah, know. I just I just didn't want that to get lost, you know, for any listeners because I, I know what you meant. I that's all so sure, 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 sure. Um, then we'll cap off the recaps with uh UTSA beating UTEP on the road 44 to 23. Uh, 286 yards through the air for Frank Harris here through two touchdowns ran for two as well. 561 total yards for the Roadrunners here. Uh, a little bit of a slow second half for them, but it was never really close. Uh, Roadrunners are now one of only four undefeated teams in FBS. Uh, you know, we'll see, you know, as we record or we're recording this in the morning on Tuesday when the college football playoff rankings uh, come out later. We'll see if that got them to where they want to be. Um, but <clears throat> in that regard, I think UTSA did what they needed to do in creating that, you know, that that gap in the score in order to, you know, hopefully make some of these ranking committees uh, take notice as that seems to be one of their priorities for the year. Now that, you know, they're winning the games, they're, you know, the likely, you know, 
divisional shoe in for the conference title game. They've locked uh, Jeff Trailer up for 10 more years. So, um, you know, for, for them, it's just really more about, you know, keeping their foot on the gas for the rest of the season. Uh, UTEP did some good things, but, you know, ultimately, I think this is more or less what we expected to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you and I expect this to happen. I don't, I'm not going to speak for the UTEP faithful who showed up and showed out uh, there at the Sun Bowl. It's nice to see a really good crowd out there. But I know for you and I, this UTSA team, Joe, this is, I first off, just so happy for Frank Harris, a full season healthy. And we're seeing just really what we thought he could be in previous years, right? Sincere McCormick, he and Frank Harris, that combination combined for over 250 yards on the ground. Frank Harris, 22 of 34 for 286. I mean, just a, a ton of talent that, again, Frank Wilson was able to bring in some guys, but give credit to Jeff Trailer. He's getting the most out of this talent, and they look as legit as can be. So that's all I really have to add on that one. I just My major thing is just being wowed by how good Frank Harris has been as a passer because we always knew he could be a dual-threat guy, right? Even with the injury. Joe, it's crazy. Even for a guy who had ACL injuries, <laughs> he's still a hell of a dual-threat. You know, it almost makes you wonder – um, what he could have been if he didn't have the ACL injuries, but just go- just good to see and glad to see him get an entire uh, season of being healthy and him really, you know, getting the earn the fruits of his labor, so to speak. Here's a, a Frank Harris take. I think if he hadn't had those ACL injuries, like you mentioned, I think we'd be, you know, talking about him in the same breath as guys like. Uh, you know, Malik Willis and some of these like NFL ready quarterbacks, you know, with, with Frank Harris, obviously he has a little more time before it would make sense for him to make that jump. Um, you know, he's only a, well, actually he's a senior, Never mind. But that being said, I think if we had, um, if he didn't have those injuries, I think we'd be talking about him in the same breath as some of these like NFL ready quarterbacks in this class, because, you know, as you and I both know, (laughs) once you have those tear, those kind of, you know, ACL injuries in college, it, it turns scouts off and understandably so. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's understandably so with the ACL injuries and you really hope that he's not a situation of like what could have been, but definitely going to appreciate what he's done now and appreciate what he'll be able to do with these last Three games. I, I can openly admit this. I hope, you know, no uh, West fans, West Division fans take offense to this. I'm rooting for UTSA to go undefeated. I'm rooting for them to finish the job, just especially with everything that CUSA has gone through this year. And of course, UTSA is one of those programs that is leaving. Uh, it would be nice for the conference to have an undefeated team and for UTSA, um, for that fan base to have uh, with everything that is trending in their direction. And this program, hope they get the job done and finish it off. Yeah, it'd be huge. If you look at what UTSA has been able to do and you look at the fact that they were able to, uh, you know, secure new members, you know, just fix that TV deal and CUSA might have some life. Um, But it reminds me of that meme where um, the guy's like, ah, call the ambulance, but not for me. You know what I know which one I'm talking about? That that reminds me of CUSA situation right now. Uh, I I do not, but I I get what you're going to. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, looks like I have something to slack you later. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so with that, let, let's talk a little bit about that that proud UTEP fan base that you mentioned, Eric. Inside the stadium uh, was fantastic. Outside, um, you know, I know that everybody was excited about this UTSA versus UTEP game. There's a lot of talk about trying to get college game day to come in and, and 
maybe it's a good thing that didn't end up happening because the videos, Eric, on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, what have you, that came out of one particular tailgate area were <laughs> absolutely wild. Uh, there's there's people, you know, I don't know how much of you you've watched, Eric, but there's people hucking bottles at each other. There's there's trash everywhere. It looks like a couple fights breaking out, and uh, of course, the now infamous you know couple having relations in the bed of a pickup truck. So. <laughs> you and I know that El Paso and its people have a great reputation. So it's unfortunate that they have been the butt of the joke all week, <laughs> pun completely intended. Oh, man. Uh, listen, I am all for a wild tailgate. I am all for a good time. So I, if anyone was offended or upset at this, I'm not. Because, listen, it's it's college. It's tailgate. It's what you do. To the couple who were having relations, I won't dive too deep into this uh, because, again, I don't want Beth Maiman to, you know, hear this podcast and make it our final podcast. But, uh, Joe, um, only one question here, right? So if you're utilizing the back of the pickup truck, right, that clearly means it's not yours, correct? I, you, you don't think this truck, uh, you, you don't think this truck belonged to either one of them? I listen, I'm just saying I don't think it belonged to either one of them, which just has me wondering if that's my truck and I roll up in the moment that the relations are going down. Am I like cheering them on? Do I just hop off and like keep just drive? Right. Like, I don't know how I handle that. And I'm not going to speculate on this podcast because, again, we don't want this to be our final podcast. Thank you, Beth. Um, but I'm just 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 a thought. Just made me wonder, you know, <laughs> I mean, me personally, I'm going to be like, what? get out of my truck. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure some people would be happy about that situation. I don't think I'd be one of them, but I don't know. I'm also not going to like, you know, if I have a, 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 you know, a stick long enough to like push them out of the bed with, like it's a, you know, like a rabid raccoon or something. Sure. But that's, that's all I really would have to offer the situation. I'm, <laughs> I, well, you're right. It's college, but it's just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I both feel bad for the the couple who had that who now has that moment on the internet, but also like, come on, man. <laughs> like, well, I mean, that, you know, see, so, so look, man. Again, I could ask a million and one questions about this. Like, I she doesn't have any shoes on. I want to know, like, did she did she take the shoes off for the occasion, or was she just barefoot? Right? Because then, in my mind, again, whole another can of worms. So, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it, it's a can of worms like you said i don't know that we can realistically open <laughs> without getting in trouble but <laughs> the shoe thing was also concerning um and also i i saw a lot of very funny tweets now that were like that were from UT utsa fans that were like or yeah that were from utsa fans that were like i don't know that i can wear an orange hoodie anymore <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that's a great way to end that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Moving on to some more, um, you know, serious, I guess, news. Um, WKU and MTSU to the Mac uh, no longer looks as likely as it was even last week. Uh, this move is apparently financially motivated for Middle Tennessee State. Uh, in a nutshell, 
Um, it is going to cost MTSU far less money to stay in CUSA than it would be for them to jump uh, to the Mid-American Conference. At this point, it, given how excited the majority of uh, WKU fans seem to be in order to jump to the MAC over staying in CUSA, um, well, let me back up. Basically, the word from Brett McMurphy is that if MTSU decided they did not want to go to the MAC, then the MAC most likely would not <clears throat> take Western Kentucky on their own. Um, so this is from Kyle Rowland on Twitter. Eric, I, I have to admit, when you first sent this to me, I was my mildly dyslexic brain was like, "Why is Kelly Rowland doing college football <laughs> stuff now?" But anyway, um, uh, I, this tweet from Kyle Rowland, who is a uh, who's a journalist at the Toledo Blade. Uh, Mac expansion. Some leaders at Middle Tennessee State want to collect the exit fees from Conference USA members that left. It's a short-term play when stability and exposure are far greater in the Mac. Uh, and CUSA TV deal is a disaster. He goes on to say. Um, I, at this point, Eric, I think if WKU did a capital campaign to fund NTSU's move, <laughs> it might succeed. Uh, that being said, if you're WKU in this instance, I think you basically need to find another school that makes sense for the Mac uh, in order to be, you know, or, or rather, you need to find another team to partner up with so that the Mac uh, can basically take you. And then the Mac also has, you know, even divisions. Remember, the Mac doesn't need to make this move. So if they're just getting WKU, then that gives the mid-American conference and uneven number of teams, obviously, which essentially creates a lot more work than they probably want to take on right now, given the fact that they don't really need the money. They don't need to expand really given, you know, the, the built-in fan bases that they have. Um, and yeah, with, with MTSU, it's, it's just becoming, you know, increasingly apparent that, uh, you know, the, you know, money is is the main priority here, understandably so, but it's going to lead to a situation that, you know, doesn't put them in the best to in the best position to, you know, succeed and grow in the long term. But obviously, the short term implications of this are apparent. You pretty much hit the nuts and bolts as far as everything here, like you mentioned, and I've had a couple fans from teams who are left in the conference. Have reached out to me and kind of said, hey, you know, I, I thought this thing was a done deal. What does this mean? <laughs> the MAC doesn't need these two teams. This is very much, uh, hey, we see Conference USA is falling apart and we can pick and choose, right? If we have interest, that's just, and I, and I, I hate to use it that way, to say it that way, but that's just, it is what it is. Maybe I, I'll rephrase, Joe. I won't say Conference USA, this obviously wasn't, you know, necessarily their doing as much as it's the side effects of, realignment right realignment has opened up this situation where you can have this poaching of teams and mac views the situation like hey we can get we can if we want to move into the nashville market we can right but to the point i was making with some fans they don't have to do this if UTSA, if utsa i'm staring at the utsa score if middle tennessee and western kentucky were going to have a landing spot this would have happened in the first wave this is very much them trying to sell themselves to the Mac and vice versa. So to everything you said is true. Western Kentucky, if they want to do this, and if middle has issues, I, I'm seeing some reporting there as you uh, you talked about in, in terms of Kyle Rowland. Listen, if Kelly Rowland want to 
pop in a press box I'm in anytime soon. I'm more than welcome, but I digress. Uh, if, if, you know, Middle Tennessee has their hesitations about paying the fees and whatnot, then they're going to have to go find a partner and make this happen themselves. If not, then they just got to stay put, right? We talked about this a little bit on a previous podcast, and I'll just make the point here. For the MAC, if you want the national market, that's fine, but you know this is someone who is our resident Western Kentucky guy, and I can attest this is someone who's been to both schools. The Nashville suburbs ain't Murfreesboro and Bowling Green. Sure, Murfreesboro can be considered a suburb of Nashville, but that's not really Nashville in the way that you could consider, you know, certain Denton a suburb of Dallas, right? Um, and even then, you can make the point for North Texas. People from, from you know, you're not really getting Dallas with Denton, but that's a whole different discussion. With Bowling Green, that's going to take another 30 years that you can, I'm sure you can, you know, verify this. A few more decades before the Nashville suburbs explode into Bowling Green, Kentucky, despite the fact that it's about an hour away. So, um We'll see what happens, but I, I just think – I'll be completely honest. In my mind, I think it's best for both of these schools to – unless you have a slam-dunk deal, you either stay put or you start partnering up with other schools to find a different plan of attack. 100%. I mean, we talk about you know Murfreesboro and Bowling Green's proximity to Nashville. Look, Murfreesboro is just close enough. It's like 45 minutes out that – you know, it, it's not that big a deal if you want to take the family into town to see the lights at, at the Opryland during Christmas, right? Bowling Green's a little further away. Um, the exact drive time's escaping me right now, but uh, let me see if this pulls up in time. Five minutes? No, that's the Bowling Green Motor Inn. God damn it, Google. Anyway, but to piggyback off of the, the point we were talking about um, of Western needing another team to basically create sort of a joint bid with them in order to get into the Mac. The most likely candidate to me seems like UMass. And I don't think it's going to happen immediately, right? Uh, UMass just fired their football coach uh, this past week in, in Walt Bell, who was not successful. UMass football has not been good for many, many years. Um, so that being said, if you are the UMass administration, it, it seems like at this point, they are really trying to revamp the way that they do things, or at the very least, revamp the way that this football program operates, because the results speak for themselves. They've been, you know, the the shame of the non-P5 teams right up there with like UConn uh, the last uh, however many years. So if you're Western Kentucky, I think you need to establish that line of communication with UMass now and make sure that they are following through on these investments into their athletic program uh, and their football program specifically to, you know, basically, I think you need to form that partnership now and kind of figure out together it, what can we do in the short term to make UMass a more uh, appealing candidate to get into the MAC. What I'm saying is I think – Western needs to pretty woman UMass in order to uh, create a, uh, you know, a realistic chance of getting into their preferred conference in order to, you know, help both parties. And, you know, I'm, I can only imagine how many times you've seen pretty woman, Eric. <laughs> um, scorned aunts uh, who, you know, when the anniversary of the divorce comes around, they're pretty women, uh, 
Dirty Dancing, those are their go-tos. So I've actually seen it many times, Joe. <laughs> I mean, that's see, I knew it. I wasn't making a joke. <laughs> I also am now very nervous to go anywhere for Thanksgiving because hopefully my aunts are not listening to this podcast. But I digress. <laughs> But, but does that make sense, or is there? No, another... no, sorry, sorry. To bring back the football. Yes, it, <laughs> and not just the, the pretty women and my fear of not being able to get mac and cheese. It, it makes sense, right? I I agree with you. And if, if for Western, well, you know what? I guess I'll ask you in the form of this. I don't even understand. I guess this is why I'm so bewildered. If you're not making this move with Middle Tennessee, does it make sense? I mean, I think for for Western in particular. Look, I think in order to grow the way that they want to and this fan base wants to, I think they just really want to get in a situation or in in a league, really, that, uh, you know, understands, you know, it basically is just more experience in terms of growing schools, individual brands, has the, you know, built in, uh, you know, has a much better TV partnership with ESPN already in place. And, uh yeah, and I mean, not that they they aren't already getting you know a good part of you know their uh, enrollment and alumni and donor base and already from you know the Nashville area and you know all the other states that now house USA teams, but you know I'm sure there are some numbers that they're looking at of like a better opportunity to get you know folks from places like you know chicago cincinnati uh you know those type of places i'm sure right now i'm sure that allure is very present for them but i can see why people think it it doesn't entirely make sense but i'm sure that thought is in their brain of like it's now or never I, I, you know what? I think that's a great way to close it because you might be right. It, it, it may be now or never if they're going to be able to get out. That's that's very true. Um, and I know we were going to talk about expansion a little bit here. Um, so yeah. I guess that brings us to. Go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. God, I was going to say where we at on time, but I think we should be fine because we can we can get through the. Uh, uh, we, we can get through the um, yeah yeah we can get through next week pretty quickly yeah, yeah um and we talked about this a little bit last week as well uh liberty and new mexico state along with jacksonville state and sam houston state have officially joined conference usa so looking like that is going to start uh in 2023 um and that as of now with middle tennessee and western kentucky puts us at nine teams uh we talked a little bit about you know, what each of these uh, schools brings to the conference in general. But, um, you know, in particular with with Sam Houston State, Eric, I am really fascinated to see how they can handle this kind of jump. They're going to have to make some significant investments in their uh, in their stadium. They have a great they have a great fan base who packs their stadium, but their stadium is not very big. So I'm interested to see what they're able to do. Um, between now and then in order to, you know, prepare for that, that FBS jump. And I guess same goes for Jacksonville state. Yeah. I actually had a chance to look at both of those things, not live through, through the magic of the, uh, the interwebs and technology. You know, I just took a look at Google earth and, and saw both stadiums, uh, Sam Houston state stadium, definitely. And I'm sure there's a timeline there that they'll have, they, if they didn't have before, I'm sure they now have one moving to the FBS level in terms of 
renovations and getting some things ready to go. Um, from my concern, the press level seems to be phenomenal at both of those facilities. So <laughs> glad that is taken care of. I, I guess, you know, Joe, my my thing, and we talked about a little bit with, you know, you talk about UMass and maybe them going to the MAC. Um, I guess my thing that I was curious of is, does Conference USA need to make a push for a 10th team? You've mentioned UMass and Walt Bell, and if they can make a commitment um, with them, choosing to move on from Walt Bell. If that athletic department stabilizes a little bit, maybe they go that route. I, I just, I think that's the biggest thing that I'll be keeping an eye on is do they make a push to go for a round 10 or do they feel confident should MTSU and Western Kentucky stay put to stay at nine? But that, that in addition to what the two FCS schools will be looking to do um, in terms of transitioning will be, will be big. I mean, with UMass, at least they've made, They've made renovations to McGurk Alumni Stadium within the past five years, so you have that base covered. And, you know, if you're going to get a 10th team that's not UMass, you're probably looking at another FCS school, which will have to make another sizable investment. So all things to keep an eye on. Yeah, you know, I, whether it is now or next year or maybe even in 2023, I definitely think CUSA is going to make every effort they can to expand to 10 teams by the time that this uh you know new this new league in its new format will will take place why because money basically like they they need the cash from the you know entrance and exit fees that this whole thing you know has has created in order to you know basically you know fix the things that not, I don't want to say it put them in this position because obviously this is all a domino effect from Texas and Oklahoma leaving for the SEC. But also, you know, I don't know that they would be in the scenario of, you know, <laughs> teams basically ready to, you know, jump ship in the middle of the night, which is more or less what happened with that, the big first wave with, you know, the, the six teams that moved to the American. Um, so I think they'll find some way to add a 10th team, whether that's UMass, whether that's, you know, a, another FCS power that makes sense geographically, who knows, but I do think they will go to 10 teams and I think they should go to try to get to 10 teams. Same here. I actually do hope that they do go for 10 and, and make that move. It's just a matter again of making the right decision because right now you, you had to do what you had to do in terms of getting the four. Um, I think I would hope that there's the ability to be very selective with the 10th team. Um, again, that all depends on if middle and Western stay, if they do, I'd hope that there's again, the ability to be very selective and instead of just choosing whatever's available. Um, I don't want to slight any specific team, but I think if you're just in, and Joe, I'm sure you'd agree. If you're in the position of just looking for one, then maybe you can pick and choose and try to be a little bit geographical or maybe try to, analyze some of the potential you know long-term effects in, in terms of other sports not just football that would help the league as a whole instead of just yo we need four to at least get to this point come one come all uh, hear me out a reality show where the athletic directors of or the head coaches of the top however many fcs programs that are being considered for this spot and the last person standing gets that spot, you know, in the style of like real world road rules challenge or something to that effect. Physical challenges, trivia, you know, maybe we have to watch them do like a shark tank type presentation. I'd be into it. 
I'd absolutely be up for a Shark Tank presentation, but who are the judges? Hmm. I mean, you know, Junior McLeod, obviously, is one of them. Um, let's see. Who would the... Um, I mean, you would probably need somebody from the... You probably need somebody from the CFP committee just because, you know, ultimately they're going to want to say in it. And I don't know. I think you just need some like wild card celebrity who really has nothing to do with anything. Um, I don't know. Sir Mix-a-Lot. What's he doing now? Got a pause, Joe, because I, I don't believe the great Sir Mix-a-Lot is still with us. I don't I don't think you're right. I I pretty sure I saw a sign for him performing at some random club in Seattle okay, last week. Okay, okay, no, no. The great but let, me, but let me check. No, no, I, I just he's still with us. He's still with us. Okay. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll try. Yeah. I'll, I'll, pick, I'll pick it back up. Just wanted to make sure. Because listen, I do that a lot. I reference people who are dead way often than I'd like to admit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 58, still, still doing shows, still doing the 10th remix of Baby Got Back. He's he's killing it. He's, yeah, he's doing his version of killing it. <laughs> listen, I mean, I think I think the rapper who had Baby Got Back is a nice theme, considering we started the podcast with Pole Assassin. Our middle section, we talked about you know relations. I may go a little <laughs> new school. I might go with juvenile. You know, back that ass up. Excuse me, that's the first cuss word I've dropped in this podcast in four years. I may go with that, right? Because everyone loves back that ass. Sure. Right? I mean, you can't listen, Joe. You want to talk about cross cultural? The opening second of that beat everybody gets so i'm my boss juvenile <laughs> all right well we'll let you write the press release justifying why juvenile is a judge on this fictional college football reality show that we just created right now i bet you juvenile <laughs> have every tailgate in this new cusa popping i bet you that much <laughs> you are probably correct uh, all right, let's jump into some previews for week 11. Uh, Rice and Western Kentucky kicking things off at 2 o'clock Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, tops minus 18.5 heading into this game. I think Western Kentucky's got this. Rice hasn't been great at defending in general, though they are better at defending the pass than the run. It wouldn't surprise me if the Owls are able to pick off Zappy once or twice, but Rice simply can't score anywhere as quickly as we know Western Kentucky's can. So I, I'd imagine by the end of it, this one's a, a solid four-score win for Western Kentucky. Wow, okay, you're taking a four-score win. I do think Western Kentucky wins. I'll say by two-and-a-half score, something like 17 to 20 points. I think Western's run defense obviously is giving up some yards, and that'll allow for Rice to, you know, get some grounds, get some yards on the ground, maybe in the second half. But give me Western. And then we got Louisiana Tech hosting Charlotte at three thirty Eastern on Stadium. Kind of a surprising line for me in this game, Eric. Louisiana Tech minus six and a half. Uh, however, I can sort of understand it when you look at their passing games resurgence uh, last week against UAB. Uh, Charlotte's defense is having trouble with the pass as of late. And listen, I'm I'm going to go ahead and pick Charlotte for the upset because uh, Tech really just can't seem to catch a break in any regard. I mean, you, they played a, a UAB team that, you know, for parts of that looked really bad and, and still weren't able to, to close it out. So give me Charlotte. Yeah, listen, I, I will be interested to see what the status of Vic Tucker is. But that aside, I think Charlotte's playing for much more than Louisiana Tech is right now. It's not to say that Tech's going to come out and roll roll over play dead or anything like that. But I think if, you know, Charlotte gets up a couple scores early, even if it's 10 or 14 points, then it kind of gives you some leeway with the quarterback situation. We'll see if it's going to be Austin Kendall or JD head, but uh, 
biggest thing for Tech is obviously to see, you know, if J.D. Head is playing his development, but I, I think Charlotte comes in and gets the job done. Then we have MTSU hosting FIU at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3. Middle Tennessee minus 10 heading into this one. And give me the Blue Raiders personally. If Chase Cunningham are healthy, then I think this one would be a bit of a blowout uh, because we're going to see a quarterback from MTSU, whether it is Vadiato or uh, Ordolello. Um, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Uh, that's still both of those guys are still getting their legs under them at this level of football is basically what I'm trying to say. And that's what's going to keep it close. Uh, that being said, I do think MTSU um, gets the win with, you know, just a little bit more put together roster as we talked about earlier. Yeah, listen, I would love to pick FIU on this game, especially given the quarterback situation for middle. But when you just look at how many players to piggyback off what Butch Davis said, he's got some like 15 to 18 guys, maybe even a little bit more than that of guys who were walk-ons or preferred walk-ons, guys that they weren't expecting to see significant reps and they're playing uh, a lot of them, quite frankly. Just don't know if that's going to be, uh, you know, the the game experience they've had in the past four or five, six weeks. That's going to be enough to make a win happen. I will say this. FIU has the clear quarterback advantage, and that's why I'm tempted to pick them, but I'll take middle. Then we have Old Dominion hosting FAU, uh, 3.30 Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Owls minus six and a half. Uh, I'm picking the Owls. They they definitely have some things to clean up, like we talked about. They need to finish drives and get the ball in the end zone. They need to actually score points, um, which I believe is why they are you know not favored by more. That being said, uh, Old Dominion obviously has played extremely well the last couple of weeks, so definitely going to give Willie Taggart's squad a run for their money. Uh, Old Dominion just not as strong of a defense as Marshall last week, so I think the Owls will be able to figure it out and secure bowl eligibility here. I think FAU, with their backs against the wall, are going to have to come out firing quick and early. I think Willie Taggart's going to want to get them going quick and try to play, hopefully, for Owls fans' sake, their most consistent game of the year from start to finish. Give me FAU. But again, if they sleepwalk, don't think that Ricky Ronnie's team can't pull the upset. Completely agree. And then... We have Marshall hosting UAB at 3.30 on CBS Sports Network. It uh, doesn't look like there's been a line set in this game just yet. I'm picking Marshall. I really like where Coach Huff has this team. They seem determined to not replicate that, light, uh, that late season slump they hit last year. That being said, I think this is going to be a very entertaining game. UAB obviously has a fantastic offense, um, even despite the the issues. Uh, with the effectiveness of both of these rushing offenses, I think we're going to see a very quick game. Um, but I, I think Marshall wins this one in a close one. Give me the hurt. Again, I really love the way that they're playing right now. UAB, as we mentioned, banged up, enter, banged up uh, last week and banged up entering this week. I think Grant Wells. He's going to want to show that he's not the same quarterback that closed out last season with the one touchdown, five interceptions. Give me Marshall. Then we have UTSA hosting Southern Miss 330 on ESPN Plus. Uh, UTSA minus 33 here. Um, and honestly, I agree with that. UTSA is going to win this game by a lot. Simple as that. This UTSA team knows they need to blow teams out to keep building on the program's momentum and, yeah, you know, basically uh rise in those rankings in order to you know build on maybe something you know truly special next year uh but i think i see that continuing with a hefty lead being built uh by the time this game gets into the second half here 
listen, Southern Miss, we talk about really banged up. Just want to see what they're going to get done at quarterback. This should be one that Frank Harris should be out by halftime and we're able to see the backup quarterback. Of course, his name is escaping me. The kid was at New Mexico State. Oh, man. He, he had to start for two years, too. And of course, his name is escaping me. But nevertheless, give me the road runner. And then we have North Texas hosting UTEP uh, to close things out. Uh, Four o'clock Eastern, I believe, on ESPN Plus. Uh, UTEP minus one. Uh, double check that time because that seems early. Um, but I, I've been impressed with North Texas the last couple of weeks. But I think UTEP is going to play this smart, control the ground and the clock against North Texas defense that has issues defending the run, uh, particularly. Uh, if they can get some off-tackle stuff going away from big Dion Noville in the middle there, then uh, I, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, of course, really quick, the backup quarterback I was thinking about was Josh Adkins, the former two-year starter in New Mexico State. In terms of UTEP and, UN, and UNT, UTEP, I think they'll be very eager to come out and show that. Because, listen, they still have to show that they're for real, right? The six wins, wow, we didn't dive into it really in the, in the podcast, but – their wins came over competition that really was, you know, mediocre at best. I mean, ODU is a team that's fighting well. And the Louisiana Tech, we've seen what's happened with them this year, Southern Miss. They have quarterback situations. Uh, New Mexico State, New Mexico and Bethune-Cookman, all <laughs> not necessarily the best of talent, right? So I think they're going to be very eager to come out and show that this isn't a mirage. This isn't for show. You know, they are really that type of team that can contend. So give me uh, UTEP, and uh, we'll see how they can close out the year. All right. Uh, that game is at 4 p.m. Eastern. That uh, UTEP's just been the uh, late game the last couple of weeks, so that threw me off a little bit. Um, but with that, we will say thank you all once again for listening, and um, thank you all for, you know, I, and it's weird to say thank you for the praise on last week's episode when we were just talking about strippers and pet monkeys biting kids. I, I have mixed feelings about it, but thank you for uh, the the folks that retweeted last week's episode. It was That was fun to talk about. Um with that, then we'll say thank you. Uh, check us out on Spotify if that's your preferred platform. I think you can subscribe there, and you can subscribe on Apple as well. Uh, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter for updates from the site and uh, new stuff we put out there. And uh, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore, and Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. Uh, thank you guys so much. We will talk to you very soon. Stay safe out there, and happy football watching.